0: Over 25 years ago, on September 29th, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blumberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
2: Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining, and supplemented them with additional research into Mi'kmaq and Algonquin traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. In the far reaches of the northern tundra, monstrous beings wander. They hunger for flesh and thirst for blood. And in their rage, they grow peak anger, they expand above the trees and stand taller than the mountains themselves. Their battles leave the landscape in ruins, drastically reshaping the terrain. Insatiable, they devour any creature unlucky enough to cross their path. They're so ravenous that when prey is scarce, they will chew their own lips and gnaw their shoulders for sustenance. But their bodies are so resilient, they can recover from nearly any wound. They are the monstrous Chenu, the cursed ice giants of the frigid north. They are horrific to behold and terrifying to encounter. The mere sound of their awful shriek can be enough to kill a man. But more awful than their grotesque visage is the chilling secret they harbor. They were once humans themselves. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast Original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today, we're focusing on the Chinoo, a race of cannibal ice giants feared by the indigenous peoples of the northeastern coast of North America. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Some Native American tribes share tales of the Wendigo, a monstrous man who transformed into a beast and became perpetually compelled to commit the cultural taboo of cannibalism. But further north, the Algonquin people whispered tales of the horrific Chenu. The Chenu were a race of cannibalistic ice giants who wandered the frozen tundra, searching for men and women to devour. Their appetite was insatiable, and their cry alone could kill a man. When angered, they grew in size, sometimes towering over mountaintops. Yet the horror of these monsters was made all the worse by a terrible discovery. Each Chenu had once been a human being. They had been possessed by wicked spirits or transformed by their own acts of evil. Post-transformation... These poor souls became the monstrous embodiment of the tundra itself. As the most terrifying myths of their age, these creatures found their way into countless campfire tales and nightmares. Two of these stories have survived to the present day records of these terrible fiends of ice and snow. Another summer faded into memory as the leaves shifted colors, and a cold breeze signaled the arrival of autumn. The Algonquins gathered to celebrate the season's bounty and set their plans for winter. It was decided that ten families should travel north along the Saguenay River to spend the cold season hunting caribou, seals, polar bears, any prey they could find to carry their tribe through the long night. The next morning, the 10 families set out in their canoes. Among them was a beautiful young woman named Alawa. Alawa sang as she and her parents guided their boat upstream. She loved the orange tinge of autumn, both in the sky and on the trees. She believed that the beauty of the season was, in fact, one of nature's promises. Even as things faded away and the darkness became overwhelming, the sun and the green of life would always return in time. As she gazed up toward the trees, she noticed the men climbing above, stealing glances at her. She was flattered by the attention they gave her, but most of the time she wished they would turn their sights to the world around them. One man in particular, Rotog, looked at her for far too long. His eyes lingered on her like a bobcat watching a salmon. His hunger frightened her as much as it confused her. In her eyes, nature's beauty far outweighed her own. As they reached the river's source, the families stepped from their canoes and began setting up camp. Alawa helped her parents unload their supplies, then set out to gather firewood. Scavenging through the forest, she heard heavy footsteps approach. She turned to see Rotog, arms full of lumber, walking toward her.
3: Wash tie, Alawa.
4: Wash Rotog, I see you carry firewood, but camp is back the other way. Why have you followed me here?
3: I saw you as I returned, and thought you may need help. Do you not think it unwise to enter the forest alone?
4: I'm more than capable of navigating the woods in solitude. And if I'm not mistaken, you yourself were alone before you came to see me.
3: And now, I've corrected my mistake. Will you walk with me as I return to camp?
4: I still have more firewood to gather. My family has to prepare for the winter to come.
3: A prudent thought, but this is my second load. I've collected more than enough for both your family and mine. Come with me.
2: Rotog turned and began to leave. His voice had been firm, his eyes stern. Alawa did not feel comfortable spending time with him, but he was offering her family firewood, and she could not selfishly refuse him. She grabbed up what little wood she had gathered for herself, then followed Rotog across the forest.
3: Unless I'm mistaken, you are still unwed, are you not?
4: I... yes, I am unwed.
3: That is good to hear. I hope you wish to change that as much as I do.
4: Is this how you propose? By bullying me out of the woods and trading your lumber for my love? What?! That is such an uncharitable way of viewing my actions.
5: Charitable or not, I've seen the way you stare. It unnerves me.
3: Take it as a compliment that I should deign you worthy of my gaze.
5: If you wish for me to love you, this is
4: not the way.
3: So you're denying my offer outright?
4: Yes, I suppose I am.
3: Fine, carry this firewood yourself then.
2: Alawa watched as Rotog stormed away, his shoulders tight with anger. She stooped down to pick up the wood he had thrown, then felt a wave of relief wash over her. Perhaps now he would stop staring. Perhaps now she would be rid of him. Alawa returned to camp and settled in with her parents. They set up a wigwam and a fire pit, then got to work preparing their weapons for the hunts to come. By day, they roamed the forests, searching for wild game, and by night, the community gathered together by the fire, singing songs of autumn and all its pleasures before the harshness of winter arrived. From time to time, Alawa's parents pestered her about the eligible men in the camp. They would ask if she was interested in Kitchi or Mocht, and she would consider the question. Each had his benefits and his drawbacks, but neither stood out to her above the other. But whenever Alawa's parents mentioned Rotog, Alawa's face darkened. Her parents found this amusing at first. They loved to pester her, and when she cringed at Rotog's name, they only said it louder. As they teased her, she would storm away, and they would laugh, only to repeat the process the next day. But one night, they took their game too far. As they prodded Alawa for details about her potential love interests, they came back around to Rotog once again. They said his name repeatedly, Alawa vehemently denying interest. Finally, their daughter lost her temper.
5: I will never accept Rotog! Never! "'Mention his name again, and I will stomp this fire out!'
2: At Alawa's outburst, the whole camp turned to look at her. Alawa's face flushed with embarrassment, though several of the other young women in the tribe seemed to nod at her in agreement. Then she saw Rotog sitting on the other end of the camp, his body tense. A burning hatred boiled up within him— he had been publicly shamed, his name besmirched within the camp. Alawa knew he would never let this go. We'll learn what winter holds in store for Alawa after this.
0: Over 25 years ago, on September 29th, 1998, we watched a brainy girl with curly hair drop everything to follow a guy she only kind of knew all the way to college. And so began Felicity. My name is Juliette Littman, and I'm a Felicity superfan. Join me, Amanda Foreman, who you may know better as Megan, the roommate, and Greg Grunberg, who you may also know as Sean Blundberg, as the three of us revisit our favorite moments from the show and talk to the people who helped shape it. Listen to Dear Felicity, presented by Walmart on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with your no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a Block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com forward slash guarantees.
2: Now, back to the story. Ten Algonquin families had traveled north to go on the long winter hunts, and among them was a beautiful young woman named Alawa. She turned down a marriage proposal from a man named Rotog, and in an outburst, embarrassed him in front of the entire camp. Days passed, and the camp quickly forgot the drama of that night, But from time to time, Alawa noticed Rotog staring at her, his eyes full of fury. She thought that perhaps she should apologize, but she couldn't bring herself to speak to him. His eyes scared her off any time she thought about approaching. More days passed, and the cold winter winds began to blow. They carried with them the first flakes of snow, coating the ground in fresh, frozen powder. The animals of the tundra would be driven south, right into the clutches of the camp. The hunt was about to begin, and Alawa was excited. Yet as she laid down to rest on the night of the first snow, Rotog was preparing for a hunt of his own. In the darkness, Rotog wandered to where the snow was deepest he scooped up the frost in his hands and shaped it into a large ball. Carefully and quietly, he snuck back into camp and delicately pulled back the flap to Alawa's wigwam.
4: <laughs>
2: he crept up to Alawa while she was fast asleep and pulled out a potent herb known to make a person fall unconscious. Delicately, he slipped the herb into her mouth And listened to her breathing. As her breath slowed, he knew that the herb had taken effect. He lifted the ball of snow and placed it on her chest. Its snowy chill seeped swiftly into her heart. Rotog grinned an evil smile, then slipped away into the night, As the hours passed, Alawa's body grew colder and colder. (gasps) When the sun rose, Alawa awoke with a start. Her head hurt, her body ached, and her stomach hungered. Her normally pleasant disposition was gone, replaced by a stubborn crankiness, the source of which Alawa was completely unaware of. Her parents were startled to see Alawa's frown and the sharp curve of her eyebrows. They offered her soup, and she begrudgingly accepted it. But as she sipped, the hot broth made her stomach ache with nausea. She curled up and vomited onto the floor. Her parents rushed to hold her, but their warm skin felt like scalding irons against her back she leapt to her feet and sprinted out of the wigwam. As her bare feet touched cold snow, a wave of pleasure flowed through her body. She ran into the woods, looking for deeper and deeper snow, and when she found a drift that looked just right, she leapt into its frosty embrace. Feeling the pangs in her stomach, she grabbed the snow and began shoveling it into her mouth, The cold soothed her aching belly, and she ate the snow ravenously until she felt her stomach was fit to burst. (gasps) Just as she swallowed another handful, she heard a horrified gasp off in the woods. She turned to see her mother's tearful face, mouth agape. Alawa looked down at her body and saw that she was completely naked. Her skin had become as pale and white as the snow itself. Ah! Alawa screamed as she realized what was happening. She was transforming into a chenoo.
5: <laughs> Quickly, mother! There is only one thing we can do kill me now, or I'll be the death of us all!
2: <laughs> Alawa's mother nodded in tearful acceptance. She took her daughter's hand as they marched back to camp. The other families turned to see her approach. She called out to them, knowing that they had precious little time to act.
5: A curse has been placed upon me, and I do not wish it to claim all of you. I can feel its power taking hold. Quickly, gather the men of the camp and have them fire upon me with their bows. Forty-nine arrows should fell me. Not a single arrow less will do.
2: The previously joyful mood of the camp turned stern and somber. They were people of the north. They knew the land was cruel. They knew what must be done. Kitchy, marched, and even Rotog lined up with their bows aimed at Alawa there were 7 of them altogether ready to complete their grim task they let loose and 7 arrows punctured Alawa's chest each burned and stung the pain almost unbelievable Alawa screamed out in agony
5: ah! More! More!
2: The men pulled and fired again, each arrow finding its mark in Alawa's torso. More! The men pulled and fired and pulled and fired again and again and again. Every arrow sunk into Alawa's flesh and burned like daggers. Her life was nearing its end. She only required one more volley. Finish it! The men let loose. One, two, three, four, five, six arrows found their mark. But the seventh sunk directly into the ground before Alawa's feet. What?
6: One, One missing? One left? (laughs)
2: Alawa's heart was barely beating, her body laced with flames. She looked up at the men, her eyes locked with rotogs. His mouth was set in a fierce, spiteful grin.
3: I wish you shamed, just as you shamed me. Now flee to the frozen waste where you belong.
2: Alawa felt a hatred like she had never known. She let out a monstrous bellow, the sound so awful that all the men and women in the camp fell to the ground in pain, blood dripping from their ears. As rage consumed her, she felt her body begin to expand and grow. <sighs> <sighs> Her limbs stretched and bent, becoming wretched and beast-like. As she got to her feet, she found that she stood as tall as the trees around her. She looked to the ground and saw Rotog cowering beneath her. She reached out with her massive, clawed hand and grasped Rotog in her palm.
3: Please, please, let me be! I still have arrows! I can make this right!
2: But Alawa's anger had consumed her, and now she would consume Rotog. She sunk her pointed teeth into his torso. His blood dripped down her chin and poured down her throat. It made Alawa realize just how hungry she was. She swallowed the rest of Rotog then glanced around the camp, looking for her next victim. She heard a small shout and turned to see her father and mother, shaking their heads, pleading for her to leave the rest of the camp alone. Alawa was hungry. But at least in that moment, the transformation had not fully subsumed her mind. Some small part of her knew that she loved these people— She knew she did not wish to harm them. She turned her gaze to the north, the icy tundra stretching miles ahead. And then she sprinted deep, deep into the wilds. In time, her mind was completely replaced by rage and bloodlust. Alawa was no more. Now she was only the fearsome Chenu. Her clan took their hunt and sailed downriver. When they reached the primary gathering spot, they told the rest of the Algonquin people what had occurred in the north. They knew they could never return to that spot again, for it was now the hunting ground of the Chinoo. For generations, the Algonquin avoided that region of the river. They found other areas in which to claim their caribou, elk, and fish. But in time, the younger generations forgot the tales of the cursed hunting grounds. They forgot the warnings of their ancestors and the dangers of the Chinoo. And one year, when the autumn was particularly harsh, the tribe grew desperate. They called together all the young men and women and asked them to venture into the wilds. The caribou had moved on, and it was up to the youth to find them. As the tribes scattered in different directions, Kimi and her husband Achuk made their way up the Saguenay River to a place long forgotten.
7: Kimi, do you see that clearing?
2: I do. It looks perfect for caribou.
7: Let us go ashore and see what we can find.
2: Achuk hopped onto the ground. He did not have to walk for long before coming across a plethora of tracks
7: within the snow. <laughs> the spirits must be smiling upon us, for this is where the caribou have gone. We found them? I think we have. Will you be able to set up the wigwam on your own? I'd like to follow these tracks and see if I can find the herd.
8: Of course. Go and save the tribe. With his wife's permission,
2: Achak grabbed his bow and raced across the snow. Before Kimi had pulled their canoe fully onto the ground, he had disappeared into the trees. She took a moment to gaze at the tracks. The sight of all those hooves trotting through the snow was a beautiful one, a sign that their tribe might make it through the winter, after all. Yet as she stared at the hoof prints, she noticed another set of tracks trampled underneath the herds. These prints were strange, shaped like elongated human feet with sharp claws. Kimi felt a shiver run down her spine. They had wandered into Chenu territory. She wanted to scream out to her husband, warn him that they needed to leave, but she knew he was too far away to hear. She looked at the sun hanging low in the sky. He would likely not return until after dusk, By then, it would be too dangerous to travel on the water, the sky too dark to see, and the river too cold to risk falling in. She looked at the tracks again. They were fairly well concealed beneath the hooves of the caribou. Perhaps the Chinoo had moved on. She had no choice but to set up the wigwam and wait through the night. Next, we'll see if Kimi and Achuk survive Chinoo territory. (sighs)
1: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save 40% site-wide. 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
7: There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class, leading passenger space, and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.
2: Now back to the story. Desperate to save their tribe from starvation, Achak and Kimi traveled north to find caribou. However, they had stumbled into dangerous Chenu territory. Achak left without realizing the danger, and Kimi stood in the clearing all alone. Her only option was to build up their wigwam to keep her warm through the night, wait for her husband to return, and pray that the Chenu would leave them be. As she built, the sun went down. Kimi had just finished lighting the fire within her shelter when she heard a rustling outside. The footsteps sounded heavy.
8: Uh, Achuk, is that you?
2: Kimmy backed away from the entrance as the flap began to lift. She saw the hand first, a long, gnarled thing with sharp fingernails pulling at the leather. A wretched face appeared, its eyes wild, and its long hair gray and matted. Its lips were in tatters, pieces missing from an ice-blue mass of flesh. The creature's torso was bone-thin and marked with dozens of gashes, bits of flesh dangling in the air. The fearsome Chenu had arrived. As the beast crept forward, Kimi felt her pulse rise. She told herself not to panic, to think of some way to save herself. She looked at the fire, then looked at the monster, she saw the long, gray hair and hunched posture, and for some strange reason, she felt her mind drift back to when she was a child.
8: Grandmother!
7: <laughs>
8: it's wonderful to see you, Grandmother. Please, come in.
2: The chenoo stood in the entrance, face full of surprise. It was clear the beast had not expected such a warm welcome. Kimi gestured for the chenou to sit. In mute amazement, the chenou stepped fully into the wigwam, then sat cross-legged on the ground, its head bumping against the top of the tent. Internally, Kimi was terrified, but she was determined not to show it.
8: It looks like the world has been harsh to you, Grandmother. Have you enough to eat as we enter the winter months?
2: Kimmy's heart raced as the chenu stared at her, its expression stern. Then, to her surprise, the chenu
8: spoke.
6: I never have enough to eat.
8: Then, here, take some of our dried meat. We do not have much, but we are always pleased to share.
2: Kimmy opened her food bag and pulled out a strip of jerky, She walked closer to the Chinoo and held out her hand. The Chinoo eyed the food, then Kimmy's arm. After a moment, it reached out and took the jerky in its claws. The Chinoo tossed the meat into its maw and swallowed. Kimmy focused on keeping herself from shaking. If the Chinoo wished, it could swallow her
8: just as easily.
6: Is this all the food you
8: have? Sadly, yes. My husband has gone out hunting. It's been a rough year for our people. Mm.
6: I shall wait for your husband to return. As we sit, tell me about your people.
8: Certainly, Grandmother. Kimi wanted to cry.
2: By mentioning her husband, it appeared she had doomed him as well but there was little for her to do now except keep a straight face and maintain the conversation. Maybe the Chinoo could be distracted until it fell asleep. Kimi then spoke about her tribe. She told the Chinoo about the festivities they had in summer, the songs they sang at night, and the warm feeling of being surrounded by loved ones. All the while... The Chenu's expression was blank and unreadable. The fearsome face appeared to be lost in thought. As time passed and the fire burned low, Kimi heard rustling from outside. Then the entrance flap opened.
7: Kimi, I've seen some strange tracks in the...
2: (sighs) As Achak entered the wigwam, he froze in his place. His mouth hung open at the sight of the chenu, pure shock washing over him. Kimi thought quickly.
8: Hello, my love. Grandmother has come to visit. Please sit and join our conversation.
2: Kimmy prayed that he would play along. Maybe, just maybe, they could last the night.
7: Grandmother. Uh, Grandmother, yes. I'm surprised to see you so far out in the wild. Uh, But I am delighted that you could make it.
2: Achuk nervously extended his hand. The chenu stared. Kimmy's breath froze in her lungs from the tension. Then the chenu reached out her own hand and shook.
6: What have you brought home for dinner? Kimmy said you were searching for the caribou.
7: I was searching, and I found them, but the sun was setting and I didn't have the time to claim one. All I've managed to capture were two hares, but we are more than happy to share them with a guest such as yourself.
6: Two hares? That will hardly be enough. Sit with your wife and prepare your meal. I will return shortly.
2: At that, the Chenu pushed past Achak and walked into the night. Achuk looked to his wife eyes wide then sat next to her by the fire
8: we must flee achak
7: now is our only chance no the chenu can see without light and run faster than the wind there is no escaping her
8: then what do we do i'm sure it intends to devour us
7: i don't know how have you managed to survive so far i've
8: merely told it stories of our home
7: and we shall continue these stories when it returns. We must hope our conversation is more tempting than our flesh."
2: Achuk cleaned the hairs and cooked them over the flames. Kimi prayed that the Chenu would simply not return at all. But after some time, they heard massive footsteps approaching the wigwam once more. The Chenu stepped back into the tent this time dragging the carcasses of three caribou behind it. It sat near the entrance, beginning to tear the flesh from one of the caribou before slurping the meat down its gullet. It then tore one of the shanks from the dead beast and tossed it next to the fire. Cook
6: this with your rabbit. Eat as much as you like. But please, grandchildren, Tell me more about the world of man.
2: Kimi and Achuk were shocked to hear the creature call them grandchildren, but they quickly recovered and regaled the Chenu with tales of their youth and stories of the love they had found together. As the night wore on and the fire burned low, the Chenu's eyes began to droop. Soon, it was fast asleep snoring before the entrance to the
8: wigwam. Well, we could not get past it even if we tried. Undoing the wigwam would surely make too much noise and wake it.
7: Conversation has kept us alive this far. Perhaps we should rest and continue the conversation in the morning. Perhaps.
8: I'm just afraid of what may happen while we're sleeping.
7: At least we are together.
2: Kimi and Achuk held each other as they laid down and attempted to drift off to sleep. However, the presence of the chenu kept their nerves high. They lay awake throughout the night, dreading the morning. As the sun rose, the chenu awoke. Kimi and Achuk watched as it sat up, turned its face towards the exit, then held open the flap staring out into the day. After some time, it spoke.
6: Grandchildren, for many years I have wandered the wastes, nothing more than a ravenous beast. I have devoured countless creatures and hundreds of men, driven only by my lust for blood. But your warm greeting and pleasant speech awoke something within me. You reminded me of what I used to be,
2: Achuk and Kimi were stunned into silence. As they had laid awake in terror, they had never considered the possibility of the Chenu speaking such words.
8: Your people are in need of food, correct? Yes, Grandmother. We're in desperate need of meat for the winter.
6: My sins are many. But if I can gather food, perhaps they can be forgiven? Would you let me join
7: your village? Of course, Grandmother. However, as great as our people may be, they are not all like us. Many will not be willing to trust a Chinoo. I understand. I will go out and
6: gather caribou regardless, but as I hunt, I ask you one thing.
8: What is it, Grandmother?
6: Gather firewood and build me a sweat lodge. As nice a sweat lodge as you can manage in a single day. Promise me you will do this.
2: Kimi and Achuk nodded their agreement. Then, with a wave of its hand, the Chenu left the wigwam and stepped into the tundra. The couple looked at each other for a moment, then rushed to build the sweat lodge. The sun made its arc across the sky, and by the end of the day, the couple had managed to complete their project— They stacked its center with wood for the flames, then waited for the chenu to return. As the sun began to set, the couple saw the chenu approaching. It carried a large boat on its shoulder, and once it got closer and set the boat on the ground, the couple could see that it was loaded with caribou. The chenu stepped into the sweat lodge, then gestured for the couple to follow.
6: Start the fires. I will need you to hold me down, but do not fear. I will not harm you.
2: The couple set the flames, then each placed a hand on the Chenu's shoulders. As the heat built within the lodge, the Chenu started to sweat. Its face wrinkled in pain and low growls emanated from its body, but it kept its eyes locked on the blaze. They watched in awe as the Chenu's body began to shift. First, its lips healed, coming in wrinkled but full. Its teeth dulled. Its hair began to grow back, thick and silver, and its skin began to darken. They were amazed as the open wounds on its chest closed. If they had counted, they would have seen 48 separate gashes, sealed shut. The Chenu also shrank, its height greatly decreasing. The once terrifying Chenu morphed into a kind-faced, wizened old woman. Then the woman began to retch. Her whole body shook with great force. The couple held her as still as they could. She vomited a large chunk of ice Shaped just like a miniature woman, the lump dropped to the ground, and the old woman tried to catch her breath.
5: Quickly! That is the heart of the Chinoo! Dash it into bits and throw it into the flames! If any bit is not destroyed, another Chinoo will be born, fiercer and more deadly than I!
2: Kimi and Achuk did as she commanded— As they crushed the last bit of the figure and tossed it into the flames, the woman's eyes changed from a cold, icy blue to a soft and gentle brown. She began to cry, a smile spreading across her face.
5: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, grandchildren. Thank you for helping me live life anew.
2: The couple pulled the woman into a warm embrace. They spent one last night in the wilds, then all three returned to their tribe with the boat of caribou in tow. Just as the couple had saved Alawa from the Chenu inside her, the Chenu's offering kept the icy threat of winter from consuming them all. From out of the frost and snow, life could begin once more. The prevalence of the Chenu within Algonquin myth is largely a testament to the harshness of their environment. The frigid winters and unreliable food sources in northeastern North America made starvation an ever-present threat to the tribe's survival. When the winter ran long and food ran out, they would often have to choose between accepting their deaths or resorting to cannibalism. With this all-too-common dilemma, tales of the Chenu were largely meant to discourage eating others. If a man became so desperate in the depths of winter that he ate his friends and family, he might survive, but only at the cost of becoming a monster himself. The Chenu combines the worst of man and the worst of nature in a single cautionary tale. A monster fit for the ages. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode— you can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark classic tale. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Edmire, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Mythology was written by Giles Hobseth and produced by Freddie Beckley. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Mike Capozzi, Susanna Corrington, Marcy Edwards, Brian Green, Melissa Medina, Kathleen Nielsen, and Charlie Wess. I'm Vanessa Richardson.